0: We're going to continue on today and start uh, week two of our sermon series that we're in this month called Here. Here is the name of the sermon series because uh, whether you know it or not, you are, uh, well, you're here. So I'm going to start by inviting you back to some simpler times. The 70s, the 80s, the 90s. The golden age of the mall in America. Anything you needed, you could find at the mall. The mall. They were the golden age of shopping in America before everything was delivered by some anonymous person on your front door in two days with no hassle. Before that nonsense, you got to go to the mall. You got to wade through aisles and aisles of stores and you got to go through long, crazy hallways and alleyways to just to find the one place you needed to buy shoes. No such thing as returning it in the mail. That didn't exist. And when you got to the mall... You had a very important job, which was to figure out which one of the 36 different entrances you would come in, and then you would have to find that kiosk that had the giant map that was a 2D map on a like a vertical sort of board, which doesn't make any sense when you're trying to physically get yourself in a 3D world where you're flat on the... Anyway, you get to there, and you see you see this, is what you see. Yeah to which you go, I just want to return this pair of shoes and get one of those cinnamon-dusted giant pretzels. Where am I again? And so you search, and you long, and you find yourself. You find yourself at that red star, and you go, that must mean that's where I am. Many of these even had uh, an arrow that would point to the star that said, you are here, and you go, I am. And it's this existential glee when you finally find yourself on the map. You go, I am here. I'm, I'm real. I'm a real boy. And so whether you're there to return the shoes that didn't fit or... Let me take a little aside here. This is a sponsored moment. You guys like this hoodie? Maybe you're there to get a really comfortable hoodie. Imagine this with a covenant logo right here. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be something you'd want? You're in luck today because we looked around. This is not a fundraiser. We are making no money from this. We are supporting a local business and um, we hear that you guys like to wear a good hoodie and so Veronica said, I'm going to find a way for us to all get the most comfortable hoodie in the world so everybody can rep their favorite Covenant hoodie for the rest of the cold winter days. And I said, well, that's a good idea. And what I didn't expect is she was going to walk into the office and go, here's yours that you're wearing on Sunday. And I went, oh. And so this is the sample version that will have a big logo right here. It'll, no, no words, just have the Covenant logo. And then she said this, and this is the part that really... If you know me, this is a stretch, but she said, also, you're not just going to wear it so people can see it, but you're going to invite them to come up and hug you so they can feel the quality. So, for one day only, you may come up after church with no agenda at all and just hug me. Just hug away um, above the equator, please, and then you can keep feeling the hood if you need to for the softness. If you need to get in the kangaroo pouch, you do that. Whatever you got to do to feel the quality. And if you want one, uh, either check our Facebook or you'll get an email Wednesday with all of her normal Wednesday business that will give you the instructions on how to get yours. So that's the aside. So maybe you're at the mall for a really great hoodie. Now you don't need to because you get one in your email. So back to where we were. It really helps to know where you are, doesn't it? Because if you uh, just arrive at any old place and you look in every mall store while they are all different, they all look the same. And you don't know where you are. You don't know where to start from. It's this whole idea that knowing where you are is the best way to figure out where you're going. You have to have a starting point before you can get directions to an end point, because otherwise how do you how do you even get going? Well here's the thing for us today if we zoom out a little bit on the mall, guess what we're gonna find? You are here. This is where you exist in space and time. This is where you are, you exist in the Black Swamp, in the Toledo metro area, in northwest Ohio in the Midwestern United States of America. That's where you exist. You are here. It's an existential statement that you exist here. This is your place. So whether you just stopped in to return some shoes or you came here to go to school and it never occurred to you that you were allowed to leave, you are here. The question we're asking today is, what are you here for? Because knowing where you are is the best start to figuring out where it is you're supposed to be going. And so what we're asking is, what is your purpose? What is your purpose? How do you find it? And then once you have it, are you willing to run with it? We're going to do this in three different ways today. We're going to first identify our place, which I think is already up there for you. We're second going to talk about passion. We're going to get into people, and I think with those three bits, we might just have ourselves a formula for finding purpose. We're going to start in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, sort of the beginning of Jesus launching into ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee, notice the, the place names, to Galilee in the power of the spirit and, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, quote, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, this, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus walks into this synagogue, and he makes this radical claim that he's essentially the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. And so this, just to begin with, is sort of mind-blowing for everybody. So much so that if you continue reading, if you read all of Luke 4, you actually find that the people of the synagogue then attempt to kill him. He reads his purpose statement, if you will, and then they literally begin to chase him towards the cliff. And... In, in, Old Testament uh, kind of way and that was brought into the time of Jesus, the way that you would stone somebody. You would take them to the cliff, the edge of the city, you would stone them there and then push them off. And so if the stones didn't kill them, the fall might. And so they chase him to the cliff and it says they're ready to kill him and it, the, the scripture actually says and he, he slips away from them. He just sort of slips through the crowd and he's gone and they vanished and they, they missed their chance. What we know, though, as we read through that, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And then it says he's teaching in Galilee, and he goes back to Nazareth. And then right after that, it says he heads to Capernaum. And so in this passage, what we see is we basically have the extent of the ministry travels of Jesus already laid out for us. You can see it on a map we have here. There's a whole lot of information on it. But what you basically get is a visual picture. And a little south of the map there that you can't see is Jerusalem, and so from Jerusalem to Caesarea Philippi, the full uh, scope of Jesus's ministry and life—it's basically the same distance as from Findlay to Detroit. Which is to say, this: Jesus came to alter the course of eternity in about a hundred and twenty-mile strip of land—an an area, total square footage, smaller than the surface of Lake Michigan. Jesus alters the course of eternity. That was his here. You and I live in a, a world with air travel. We've been all over the world. Thousands of miles are no big deal. We've seen everything. And yet you and I often come into a place like this and go, yes, but what is my purpose? What am I here to do? And so what we're going to do is answer that question. And we're going to say, what is your place? What is your here? If that was Jesus's here, and he never actually left that small strip of land to accomplish his purpose what might it look for you to do the same when my wife and I were married and we were getting ready to move to South Africa as missionaries I had been there for a year already and we were going together I had a a gentleman contact me a couple weeks before we left and it was sort of a surprising contact because he was a pastor but he wasn't my pastor he was somebody who had become a customer of, customer of mine when I'd worked at a coffee shop for a season and he said, Listen, I need to meet with you. I was okay, sure. He sat me down in this coffee shop and he, he kind of looked me in the eyes and he goes, Listen, he said, You were born here. And your greatest influence is going to be here on this culture. So do what you've been called to do, wherever you've been called to do it, but don't forget, don't run from the fact that you were given to this place, that God chose to drop you in this country with this culture, and you have no more influence anywhere else in the world than you have right here. I don't know what else he said that morning, but I'll never forget those words. That I was getting ready as fundraising. I was just ready to like go and change the world. And I had you know, the whole world in front of me. And I was getting on a plane for a 24-hour flight, a 10,000-mile journey to land in South Africa, this exotic place where I'd fallen in love with these people. And this guy looks at me and he goes, you see all this mundane stuff around you that you're running from? This is where you were called. What I wanted to say was you don't know me. And what I needed to say was you're right. And so there was a season that God destined for us to be in South Africa, to learn things and grow together and and start ministry, and yet what he said is absolutely true. That I have no greater influence anywhere in the world but in the culture that I know the best because it's the culture God dropped me into almost on purpose, you would think. It's tough to run from that. And so I would say that your place, which is the first element of your purpose, your place has already been set for you. Maybe not permanently, but in this moment, Whether you like it or not, you are, you're here. You're nowhere else. And this is a challenge. It's easier than ever to run. In our digital culture, you can be anywhere else that you want to be as soon as you want to be there. I have a seven-year-old. Her name is Brixton. She was named after an inner city district in Johannesburg, South Africa. Brixton, Johannesburg, South Africa. It's a really terrible neighborhood. And she's already been there. Well, not physically, but she has Google Earth on her device, and she has driven the streets of Brixton. Hey, liquor store, gambling shop, liquor store. Dad, this isn't a very nice neighborhood. Why'd you name me after this place? I said, your name means light in the city. You're here to redeem it. She went, oh, liquor store. I could, okay. And I'm like, wait, don't get ideas. And so she's, she's going through Brixton. My Brixton is seven. She's been through Brixton digitally. You can be anywhere. There are streets in Bowling Green she's never seen. And how many of us is that the truth of? That we long to be anywhere, we yearn to see other things, we go all over the world. We don't know our neighbors. Is it possible that God has dropped you here for a reason, that he's called you here for a purpose, that this here is here for a reason? Sixteen-year-olds are driving at a historically low rate. They don't even want a license anymore. Because generations past, you got a license and it meant freedom and escape and you could go wherever you wanted to go and you're finally free from your parents for just a minute. And today, 16-year-olds go, why would I want that? I have a phone. I'm talking to people from thousands of miles away. I can be in any different virtual reality world I want to be in. I don't need a car. I got a phone. This is the place that God has put you. The question becomes, what has God put in your heart to do while you're here? Quoting Isaiah 61, Jesus said he was here to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim uh, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is not some metaphor or flowery language Jesus is using. He actually did these exact things. This is what he was here to do. And so when we ask the question, What are you here to do? it challenges you to open the scroll of your own life and ask, Why are you here? What's your passion? Tanya Huger and Bethany Jenkins are two of our members that have passion. They are advocates for the voiceless. They give care and hope to those who've been otherwise left behind or ignored. This is sort of why they exist and they know that. They, they bonded over that. you you see it in a hundred different ways, Bethany as a foster parent, Tanya as a court appointed special advocate for minors. These are people who give their free time to serve little ones that don't have a voice. And both knew there was more for them. That there was a reason they were here. And they began to ask that question in their souls. Why am I here? What is this for? How can I do more? How can I engage the passion that God has given me? This year those passions collided. They came in my office and they said it's time for us to launch an open table. It's time for us to get into this ministry model that creates networks around under-resourced people, around marginalized people, around people that are at risk. And what they did is they started a city-wide movement. The two of them. Because they allowed their place and their passions to collide. Last night we broke bread with the second of our two tables that we've started. And represented it just two tables of individuals who they've recruited into this ministry model. There are people from churches all over this city, from churches outside of the city, from people who don't go to Church who said, I am so about what you guys are doing. I want to be a part of that. I want to change a life. I want to have a passion and a purpose like you do. And it's crossing racial lines and socioeconomic lines, and it's crossing generational lines. It's Catholics and Protestants. It's lost and found, and it's everybody going, wait, maybe there's more to life, and maybe it's in giving my life to someone else for advocacy and support and care and hope for brothers and sisters and families and children, and it's happening here. They didn't have to go anywhere. What they recognized is there were needs here, that we have people that are deeply impoverished here that are stuck in generational poverty here, and they said we can be the solution. Where? Here. This week is Orphan Sunday. Internationally, there are churches all over the world are celebrating and, and raising awareness of the fact that we have a crisis still, that we have too many kids who are waiting for families through no fault of their own. Last week, we had the heart gallery in the gym. If you walked through the gym during our missional life showcase, you saw a big board with 40 different faces on it of local, real children waiting for families. We've heard the stats of what it's like for a kid to age out of foster care to never find that forever family turn 18 and be set free. We've heard the stats. And so we have every motivation to do whatever we can do to help these kids from A ever landing in foster care and then B when they're in it to getting out as soon as possible to a stable loving forever family. That's our job. Cuz you know who has no power in DC and no lobbyist in Columbus? Wood County foster kids. They're here. And they need us. Because we are here too, and they don't have a voice, but we do. And the impact for them comes in a thousand different ways. Like Bethany and Tanya, you take two people who have been part of that system, whether themselves, their children, or at risk of it, and you say, I will give my life to see that these people never fall through the cracks again. There are others that are part of Open Homes. If you want an email this week, you'll get one Wednesday that gives you a link on how to get involved with Open Homes, which is kind of the wraparound service provider for all things foster care. So whether you want to have a kid in your house or you just want to make an occasional meal for someone who does, there are ways to be part of a solution. To donate your social and relational and spiritual capital to a life that is desperate for it. To go grab a gingerbread-looking character off of a wooden Christmas tree. Every year, there's somebody who comes up to me when we're doing this gifts for foster kids thing, three years going now, hoping we break the streak, but someone's always come up and said, listen, I don't know if I like this. I mean, it kind of seems consumeristic, and we don't even get to meet the kids because it's a sensitive thing, and so you just buy the gifts and drop them off. And people go, I don't know, they're asking for nice stuff. And I, it seems expensive and it's just sort of transactional and I don't know if I like it. I was, that's okay, you don't have to like it, but we're still gonna do it. Because for you and I, the little cutouts on that tree are an abstraction. They're a faceless group. But for each of those kids, they are absolutely created in God's image. Individuals in desperate need. Chick-fil-A sauce. They don't want a new car. They want Chick-fil-A sauce. You know what that means? You know what I hear when I hear Nick say that? Someone who wants to be heard. Someone who's desperate to have somebody acknowledge their existence. And so when that little boy opens up his Christmas present and there's a Chick-fil-A gift card and about 7,000 packets of Chick-fil-A sauce, maybe for the first time in his life, he's gonna say, someone heard me. Somebody listened to me. I'm real. He'll finally maybe find his star on the map and go, I exist. In a world where I seem forgotten, somebody remembered That's what those kids represent. It's not an abstraction. It's not a program. They're people. And ultimately, that's what all of this is about. To know Jesus and make him known is worthless if it isn't about people. To find a purpose doesn't make any sense if the purpose lacks people. It's not a purpose. That's a program. Jesus came, and you see the words from the passage we pulled out. There's words on there that if we highlight them, you get a sense of why Jesus was here. For the poor and the prisoners and the blind and the oppressed. He wasn't here to check boxes. He was here for people. The poor people, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. These are not categories. These are relationships. The oppressed woman who'd been bleeding and marginalized for years. The blind man he encountered in John 9. The the child of Jairus that he healed. The sinner, like me, imprisoned. Imprisoned. That he came to set free. This is why Jesus showed up. It wasn't to simply check a religious box. It was to give his life for people. It was his soul-driving passion. And modern life, if we are honest, it is like waves on the shore eroding our very sense of passion. Idealism is slowly shattered by real life creaching in. We have people who say, you know what, I think I'm going to dream of this, and I got this big idea for that. And we, those who have kind of walked through a season, and however many seasons you've been through, you can look at the people who haven't been through yours yet and go, oh, they don't know what's coming yet. We go, just wait. For our interns who go, man, I got this whole big vision. You want to say, yeah, you can do that. And there's something in you, the skeptic in you, that goes, yeah, but wait for real life. Wait for a mortgage and some kids, and wait for free time what's that and the challenge is we get into real life and we can't remember what free time is and then then what happens is we have a bunch of people in our church in this neat transitional phase a bunch that are into retirement that are just kind of edging into retirement and a whole other group whose kids are just now out of the house from a a school age standpoint no more ones twos threes and fours but everybody's six seven and up and all of a sudden i got some free time I have more people than you want to believe come to me in my office disillusioned, even depressed because we no longer have passions and pursuits. So now that we have free time, we got nothing to use it on. I love living in Bowling Green. I love that I run into you people everywhere. We go to the grocery store, I will see you there. I might just get a job there. I might as well get paid for as much time as I spend at Kroger. Sometimes I'm out and about, I see you places. It's a lot of fun. I was in Winter Garden, I'm walking in Winter Garden. I like to walk through Winter Garden. And two of our church members are walking up through, and it's summertime, and they're sweating like crazy. And they got these big packs on. You know, Winter Garden's cool, but it's not that big. I'm like, where do you guys think you're going? It's just like a little two-mile loop. And they say, well, we bought some new gear. We're going on a hiking trip, a camping trip, and, and we just wanted to test our new gear out. So we gathered at his house, and we just walked here from his house, and we're just kind of testing it out, seeing how it works. I said, that's it. That's beautiful. In this place, with their passions, together. Together. Who's going camping? Well, a bunch of us. We just invite some guys, and every so often we get a new one to come along, and we just have a blast. We love it. And so that's what we do. I So, man, this is it. If your passion can include people or affect people, if it can include people or affect people, it becomes an essential part of your purpose. If you want to find your passion, you go, you know what, I don't really know if I have a passion. Marcus Buckingham would say this. He said, you will find your passion whenever you look to the last time that a day flew by. What were you doing? The last time you were doing something you really loved and you looked up at the clock and you went, it's been how long? Wow, time's really flying. That is what your passion is. That thing that you do that it's just, it gets you in that flow state. You go, I could do this forever for no money for the rest of my life and I'd be thrilled. This is amazing. I love this. When you get some free time, you go, I just dream of doing that. What makes you feel alive? What makes you feel strengthened? What makes you feel powerful? That is your passion. And with your passion and with this place, we now have a formula. Your place plus your passion plus people equals purpose. You find your place, it is here. You find your passion. What is it that brings you life? and then include some people, serve some people, bless some people through that passion point, and you all of a sudden have a purpose. You're living out every single day. If a passion can be leveraged to make an outsider feel like an insider, if your passion can grow a relationship, if your passion can bridge a gap or reconcile a heart, if your passion can address injustice for a brother or sister, guess what? Ding, ding, ding. You have a purpose. It's not rocket science either, and we don't think we're allowed to have fun. I don't know if you know this, but school... We got to change the school system because everybody thinks when they get out of school, they're not allowed to have fun because what you were told in school is stop having fun and get back to learning. And so for 12, 14, 16, 20 years, some of us, we go through school and we learn that we're supposed to live drudgery, 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 drudgery. And then when you start having fun, you feel guilty. I'm not supposed to be having fun. Nobody look. I'm a little embarrassed. I'm having fun. People who have jobs that they're like, they really enjoy, they apologize. You ever heard this? Yeah, I mean, I heard what you're saying about you hate your job. I mean, I'm sorry to tell you, but I really like mine. I really enjoy what I do. Sorry about that. And we feel guilt because we're not supposed to have fun. Guess what? Your purpose is supposed to be fun because your passion is what makes you feel alive. And if you are doing what makes you feel alive and you are living out your purpose, you are going to feel the most powerful and strengthened and alive you've ever felt. I was just talking to Bethany. I mentioned Bethany earlier, and she said, when is this supposed to get hard, this open table thing? Like, there's challenges and stuff, but I'm supposed to be out of my comfort zone. I'm just, I love it. I love everything about it. And I said, you're living your purpose. There's no shame in that. You're not, it doesn't have to be impossible. You don't have to break an arm or have your heart broken for it to be your purpose. You can love it. And when you find the thing you love to do, that you love to give your life to, that you wake up thinking about, that's your purpose. That's your purpose. I'm gonna share something with you I didn't share with many people. I'm a little embarrassed by it. You know why? Because I had fun doing it. Part of my purpose, I love to write. Write. I also love Jesus. Hopefully that was known. I should really like leadership, studying leadership, coaching people through becoming better leaders, organizational stuff. It's, it's a little nerdy, but I like it. I like writing, Jesus, and leadership. I also really like Basketball. It turns out we have coaches in our midst. It turns out we have a university with a basketball coach with some assistants, and we've had some people come through that we know that are now spread all across the country. So I have a place that's here, and I got a passion, which is writing Jesus leadership basketball. And then we have people, like we could bless people with that. And so in my free time, because this is what normal people do, I wrote a, a devotional for coaches. A coaches devotional for life and leadership. And I didn't tell anybody because I was a little embarrassed. Because who sits down in their free time and goes and gets great motivational coaches' quotes and then puts them with scripture and writes a little devotional with it and adds a prayer to it and then publishes it? Who does that? Weird people who are having fun. And so I felt like I couldn't tell anybody because it's just sort of a weird thing to spend your time off on. But there it is. Now you know. And we put it in the hands of coaches locally and it's been given to other people all around the country. We send a bunch out to people I know and they're saying, where can I get more? Because I know someone who needs to hear about Jesus and this may be the only way they do it. And I go, purpose. This year, I've been living out my purpose. I wrote 40,000 words that have been published. Most of you will never read any of them and I'm totally okay with that. But it's something God has put in me to do. So when my wife says, hey, I gotta work on Friday because Friday's my day off and we spend the day together. When she goes, Hey, I'm not gonna be around Friday morning. You gonna be all right with that? I'm like, Oh, I'm really gonna miss you. And as soon as the door closes, I'm typing away and I'm cranking out words and I'm feeling God's love. And I'm like, This is great. Also, I miss you, you know? That's what I do when I have nothing else to do, when there's no other responsibility. I just love to get in and write, to proclaim Jesus, to grow relationships, to make outsiders feel like insiders. So the question is, what is it that you do? What is it that God has put into you? Do you love to travel? Include somebody. Make it a travel club. You like food and wine? Great. Dinner club. It's happening. You want to have a mom's group, an Ohio State football watch party, a book club. You love BG. You love downtown BG. Creatively find a way to serve local businesses. Maybe just shop there. I like these sweatshirts that are going to be bought from Ardvark. <laughs> You love children? Become an advocate for open table. Become a a, a part of the Open Homes Network. Become part of something bigger than yourself. You love special needs, children? You have a real heart for those that God has created special needs? Guess what? We're going to have an inclusion ministry soon, and guess what you get to do? You can be a one-on-one friend to somebody to help them make sure that they know that they are made in His image, and they are loved, and they are included. Is that your passion? There are a thousand ways to get involved. There's a thousand ways to take your passion, marry it to somebody, and then do it right here. It's called your purpose. You love construction? You plug in a power tool, you get that battery pack in, and you give it the first squeeze, and you just feel God's favor in your soul? Mm. Honey, what are you doing? Don't worry about me. Just surrounded in power tools. Is that you? Guess what? We have people that love to use their skills to serve the body. There are people in our community that would love nothing more than for someone to come over and tighten this up and saw that off or whatever you people do with your power tools. I'm just writing like a nerd, so give it up. But Habitat for Humanity exists in Bowling Green. They're building houses right now. We can introduce you personally to the executive director, and you can go swing hammers and drill stuff all day long and feel great about doing it. The point is this. You are here. Your place is clear. Our job together is to identify our passions and figure out how they can include and impact people. And once we have done that, then we will have our purposes. And then all you have to do is live. Just take on the next day doing the things you already love to do. Last week, we had this Missional Life Showcase for a reason. It wasn't so that we could introduce you to our partners and they do this great stuff. It was so we could invite you to figure out which one of those areas might God want to use you in. And so there were tables set up for organizations and people that serve immigrants, internationals, young mothers, Africans who can't get clean water, people whose great passion is school prayer or Christian education or loving adolescents in the most complicated season of life. There were people who were there to serve the unborn and the under-resourced and so many more. And if any of those makes you go, huh, that was the point of it. If you have a passion, it can be used to serve and bless people. And bingo, you have a purpose. Covenant Church is a church of the 167, we say. There are 168 hours in a week. You are invited to spend one in this room each week. One. You want to stay for two? Go on. You get one hour here to worship, to be inspired, to be equipped, to fellowship, you get one. And that leaves 167 other hours in the week that God has called you to be active in your purpose to knowing him and making him known for others. And so yes, be here and serve here and give here, but then recognize that your is only one hour a week. The other 167, you're here is somewhere else. And our invitation to you is to be fully present and on purpose there. Be here in BG, be here in Maumee, be here in Perrysburg, be here in your schools and in your offices and at your job sites and in your homes because you are here and you are only here once. My greatest hope is that we would passionately as a people, that we would live out 167 hours every week of purpose in our community with people, knowing Jesus better every day, and then making him known. I love nothing more than standing here and shouting at you and trying to challenge you to get out and do something. It's part of my purpose. But my purpose is here for this one hour a week with you. And when I leave this building, it's the same as you. We gotta find people and we gotta love them like Jesus loved us first. And you're gonna sleep a little bit and you're gonna laugh a lot. But when you find purpose, when you marry your place and your passion to people, it's all of the sudden the greatest life you've ever known. It's the promise that you've been waiting for. It's the meaning that our culture is dying for. It is purpose and it can be yours. And all we have to do is lean into it, lean into Jesus and follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made so clear the path for us. So Lord, today we say thank you for finding us here, for dropping us here and making this our place. Lord, our prayer is that we would be a people that respond to your placement of us. We wouldn't be looking at the clock and waiting for the next moment or the next season, but Lord, I pray that you would challenge each and every heart in this place to engage the things that you've you've put within us, those passion points to dig in deeper to the things that you've knitted into our very being and Father, then to use them to serve people and bless people and be with people. Lord, bring those people to our hearts. Bring those passion points to our hearts. Divinely inspire us if you can. Lord, my great hope is that no one leaves here without some sense of what this might mean for a life of meaning and purpose. Ultimately, Father, we are grateful that Jesus was faithful to live out his purpose. That his life and his death and his resurrection means that our lives mean something. That we are included in salvation, that we are secured for eternity. So, Father, thank you for Jesus. We rest in his grace. We pray in his name. Amen.